Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr here alongside Justin Barney as we move through the Jaguars offseason program. They've now made it to the not-so-voluntary, not-so-mandatory <laughs> section. Uh, you know, minicamp is typically mandatory, but Doug Peterson said he saw everything he needed to see from all the veteran players, so he gave them off, so now it's just some rookies and uh, a few select veterans that are dealing with some injury issues that are here. Probably uh, endearing himself to players, the veterans that way, right? Yeah. Giving them a little bit of respect and trying to set the culture, and I think the players probably appreciate that gesture of being able to be given off a little bit of time during camp. I'm sure they do. You know, uh, I didn't realize that as many fans were actually upset about the fact that Doug told the the veterans they could have minicamp off as there are. Uh, somebody kind of was talking to me about it today, and I was like, people are upset about this? I don't understand. You know, because overall, like, these off-season programs, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot of underwear Olympics. They're in shorts and shirts, and they're outside running around. They can't have too much competition, can't do one-on-ones or anything like that. I mean, it's really, there's only so much you can get from this. And because the Jaguars have had such great participation through workouts, through OTAs, I mean... He's seen what he's need to see. I think you're endearing yourself to the veteran. Yeah. It's a long season. You know, the, the camp starts up in full. We're about a month away uh, from from mini camp, training camp, getting going. And then it's buckle up from here on out. It's a 17-week regular season. So I think it helps to preserve some of those players. You don't run the risk of getting uh, getting a fine by the NFLPA. We saw that last like year last with year. Yeah. Uh, Urban Meyer and the team getting fined for excessive contact. So I think it endears Doug to the players and the new coaching staff to the players, uh, showing him uh, showing the players that he has, he and the staff have a lot of trust in the players already from what they've seen. So I think it builds that goodwill up and, uh, you know, lets the guys, the LaVisca Chenaults, the Jamal Agnews, guys returning from injury or have something to prove, work together with those rookies. So I think it accomplishes the fact and uh, builds some goodwill as well, too. Yeah, I, th I think the team is in a good position. And if this tells me something else is that Doug likes where this team is. I know he's kind of talked about it's going to be a little bit of patience as far as turning this thing around, but he, he if he thought it was that bad, those guys are yeah, working. Yeah, and, and I get it. You know? I get it. If you're a fan and you see, okay, this team was one and fifteen, this team was three and fourteen. These guys need all the work, all the reps they can get. Why are you letting them off? So I understand the jilted fan. They've seen this act before. They want the Jaguars to work. They want them to uh, to be accountable. But I do think it's it again. I think it. It helps Doug with the players, and it builds that goodwill. You're not going to get fined by the NFLPA. You're not going to run into that this year. So I do think it, it serves its purpose, and, again, I think it's goodwill. It's a gesture of Doug Peterson. showing he's got the confidence uh, and, and that he's happy with where the guys are at. And he has to do that. I mean, he's talked in depth about how this team was scarred from Urban Meyer and that broken trust and how he's having to reel these guys in. I mean, he – took the job and, and went to make sure that he talked to some of the veteran players who were still kind of standoffish from that last situation with the coaches. So he understands that, especially at being a former player, what kind of shoes they're in and what sort of relationship a coach and the, and the players need to have and how that was broken for so much of this team because, I mean, there's so much that was done in the dark by Urban Meyer and group and so many horror stories that continue to come out and will continue to come out probably for years as guys get more yeah. comfortable sharing some of this stuff, um, you know, about how he treated the players, how he treated the coaching staff. I mean, just how he would show up into the building and not be prepared. Um, 
So, you know, he understands that the biggest thing, I mean, the worst thing he could do is not deal with that fact day one. And then you get into a situation of where the team still doesn't trust the coaching staff and you're midway through camp and it's too late to deal with it. Yeah, and I so, think, again, I think it, it hits and addresses the points of, you know, things you mentioned last year that went sideways with Urban. Uh, he's, again, I think subliminally saying, I trust you guys. I believe, I believe where you're at at this point in the off-season program, and uh, we're going to get back to work soon, but here's some well-earned time off. So I think it, I think it is a, it's kind of a, a handshake kind of uh, agreement. You know, it's, it's uh, Doug Peterson saying to the players, you've done enough work at this point. We're happy with where you're at. And uh, the players, having given what they've given so far, uh, Doug likes what he's seen. So I think it's, it's goodwill, it's gesture. I keep using that word. But I think uh, it's, it's a small step to pay in that uh, rectification from uh, the Urban Meyer regime. So as we kind of wrap up minicamp, we go into that kind of quiet period, the, the, the quiet before the storm as you lead up into training camp. Um, I like to call this time of year optimism season. Every team's going to the playoffs. Everything's rosy and great. Everybody mm -hmm. feels good about their rookie class. Things are great. And, you know, you're heading into training camp, and then reality kind of can start to set in relatively quickly. Um, so, you know, you kind of want to deal with that because it's fun to, to embrace the optimism. You don't want to be completely pessimistic about what's happening, but you also have to look at the reality mm -hmm. of the situation. Uh, one of the realities of the situations for the Jaguars is that they will have to go through the Indianapolis Colts, who are going to be a very good team if they want to win the division. You still have to deal with Derrick Henry twice a year. And the Titans, while they are kind of in rebuild mode, are a pretty good team. And the Texans kicked your butt twice last twice year. Twice last so, year. So, you so, know, the Texans were talking about having possibly a historical inept roster last year. And they kicked the Jaguars And they, they beat them <laughs> mercilessly twice. So what does that say about Jacksonville? You cannot take anything, even a team as bad as the Texans, for granted. I think Indy is going to be better. Um, I think the AFC South eh, may be a, a transitional phase, in a sense, mm -hmm. for, the, for the division. But you have to be prepared if you're Jacksonville. I mean, it sounds cliche, uh, but you have to be prepared. And um, we see it every, I mean, from high school media day to SEC media days. It's that optimism season. Everybody's improved. Everybody's gotten better. Everybody has championship expectations. And we see quickly, two, three weeks Reality into the season, set in that it's quickly. not that at all. And, you know, the other weakness on this roster, and we've talked about this a little bit, and some people kind of, you can see it as a strength, and it could be one day, but that running back room, and there, there's two positions that really kind of catch your attention. Running back, because James Robinson's coming off the injury. Travis Etienne has not played a single meaningful down in the NFL. Yep. Snoop Connor, we were all scratching our heads when they picked him, and then you've got a, a list of guys behind them that we're not even sure they're mm -hmm. going to make the roster or would make anybody's roster. So running back, I look at that as a, a that's my red star on offense. It's like, okay, what's going on here? If J-Rob's healthy and Etienne's the guy who we've seen on the practice field, then okay, you're fine. We could call that a, a strength, but until you see it, right. you can't believe it. Because we don't even know when J-Rob's going to get on the yeah, field. And, and He's not going to start training camp. It might be year, midway through. James Robinson, I mean, the, the confidence was shaken with Urban Meyer pulling him out of games. I mean, there was miscommunication. He felt deceived by the coaching staff. Yeah. There were lies being said. So, I mean, you have to wonder, James Robinson, A, how mentally effective he'll be this year. And physically, I mean, he suffered a major injury and underwent surgery. I mean, an Achilles is not a, uh, is not a, a knee ACL tear. I mean, this right. is, that's a significant injury for a running back. we're hoping that he'll be back in less than a year. So, 
I mean, he definitely won't start training camp on the field. It Hopefully, he's ready before week one. Um, so running back to my red star on offense. On defense, it's kind of the secondary as a whole because when you look at it, like it could 100% I could say the secondary could be a strength in a couple of weeks into the season. But Rayshon Jenkins is coming off of an ankle mm-hmm. injury. Andre Sisco really didn't play as a rookie. Um, Darius Williams had an injury from the Rams, a shoulder injury that's mm-hmm. kept him out of a lot of the offseason program. Tyson Campbell really struggled early on in his rookie career, turned it on, but you know that's only one season anywhere now in a different defensive scheme that's asking mm-hmm. for different coverage things. So, I mean, that whole secondary, the majority of them are coming off of injuries. Yep. So you're going to have you know bumps in the road with that. So that's kind of my red star there. So you, you do have two, some, while there is some positive, those are some of the negatives that I kind of look at when I look at this roster. I'm like, I don't know who's Trevor's going to be handing the ball to and who's going to cover somebody. Um, while both of those could immediately become strengths. By week two, we could be saying, Phew, these are the, the backbones of this, this team. Yeah, I, I'm but with you there. Questions. This team last year, I mean, I think they had nine takeaways last year. Yeah. Nine takeaways, that's pitiful. Yeah. And you're bringing a lot of those guys back and hoping for that growth. But we didn't see that production from this team last year when they were at full strength, let alone when they were decimated with injuries. Mm-hmm. We saw a, a team that struggled defensively. I mean, from Tyson Campbell those first few weeks, not knowing when to turn around a break on a ball to Shaq Griffin, uh, not being able to reel in interceptions. I mean, nine takeaways all season. Jaguars had the worst takeaway differential in the NFL. They couldn't get to the quarterback. They did nothing particularly well on defense last year. So got to hope. I mean, the, the injury element adds a wrinkle to that. I mean, yeah. you're, I think it's definitely relevant to question if this secondary has improved. I mean, with so many guys coming back from injuries, uh, inexperience, I mean, with, it, how does that secondary look right now? You've got right. To me, it almost not the same from a receiver standpoint from, um, you know, from the injury perspective, but I think kind of we've asked time and again on uh, the News for Jags podcast, who's going to be that alpha right. as a receiver, okay? And I think the, the, the secondary is the same thing just from a, you know, again, a different perspective because a lot of those guys banged up and, and just didn't perform last year. But who's going to kind of be that alpha in the secondary? Is it Andre Sisco? Does he make that leap in year two? Um, who is going to be that guy? I mean, so many question marks. Can Tyson keep that going? So, um, you know, kind of as I've likened the receiver question, who's that guy? Okay, who's that guy? What's the identity in the secondary? What is that identity going to be? Right. And so those are some of the negatives that are kind of going on around this team right now. A lot less negatives than we had the past few years. So those are my two kind of red star positions on offense and defense. But some of the positives around this team are, you know, kind of really positive. Trevor is progressing. And I know people keep hearing all the great stuff about Trevor. There's still stuff he has to work mm-hmm. on. The you know, the big thing is that right now I think Doug and that coaching staff are having to teach him how to be a pro quarterback. You know, uh they de- they never really put a routine in for Trevor. Never taught him how to do the film study. Never taught him how to do a lot of the little things that make quarterbacks good last year. Mm-hmm. And You know, I kind of caught on to it when they brought Drew Brees into training camp. And I know Drew Brees was probably one of the most regimented quarterbacks by routine basis in, you know, in in the NFL. After his injury, he just became completely dug Mm -hmm. into what he did and how it prepared him for things. And I remember asking Brian Schottenheimer and asking Trevor about, you know, you talk to this guy about his routine. I mean, if you're talking to Drew about his career, one of the things that has to come up is his routine because that's the backbone of what he feels like made him successful. 
did you take anything from this? Did you implement anything from it? And they're like, no, we didn't implement anything. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And that made, like, I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm mind blown. Why would you bring this guy in here to talk to your rookie quarterback if you're going to have him talk about the, the one thing with him is his routine mm -hmm. that you could say, oh, here's the parallel of what you could take from me. Because, I mean, they're completely different body types, completely different arms, t different type of throwers. But his routine, how he studied film, how regimented he was, and they were like, nah, we're good. And I remember that raising a red flag then, and now they're still kind of trying to drill some of those small things into Trevor. While he does do a lot of the stuff on his own, it's you're kind of at the drawing board where, okay, well, this is how you be great, though. Yeah, and Drew Brees was at a career crossroads when he had to make those changes. Right. I mean, he was at a breaking point in his career where he had to refine himself and say, Okay, if I don't make some adjustments, I can't throw as hard. I don't have that same uh, the the same flexibility of my arm I did before my surgery. Um, he had to do that, and we see what it made Drew Brees, a Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. And Trevor, in a sense, is that I don't think he's at a career crossroads yet. But the damage that was done in that last year mm -hmm. to Trevor mentally, you know, he was always the guy at Clemson um, when he came in uh, to relieve the quarterback and. Um, Boom, he was an instant success, championship as a freshman. So he had... Kelly Bryant, wow. Kelly I Bryant, didn't yeah. I think so, that name would come to my mind for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I, I was struggling for his name. <laughs> um, you know, but Trevor has always been that guy after he replaced Kelly Bryant. Um, and then last year you had that, again, I, I'm not saying career crossroads, but you have to salvage what you can from last season if you're Trevor Lawrence. I, it, he's, I, don't, I don't think he's at the same... Uh, peril as Drew Breeders was coming off that uh, that shoulder surgery. Um, but yeah, Trevor, you've got to implement something that works. Find what works after that right. last rookie season. And you know, it, it, I don't think we've given Trevor just enough credit for the way he dealt with last year. I mean, he had to stand on the podium after every game. He had to do a press conference every week. And he said and, a lot of the same things every week. He did. He did. A lot of the same things. But you know, he, he wasn't in a position like, I mean, even after games, he talked before Urban Meyer a lot of time because Urban wasn't ready to come to the podium. You know, they put Trevor in a position where, you're, all right, kids, you're the face of the franchise, and then this thing's spiraling out of control, and this kid's like, all right, I'm going to go up here and deal with it. Let's go. Learning as Just he make went. make sure you got my Gatorade ready. <laughs> you know, I like, don't think it can be worse for Trevor. That's no, the good news that, no, as it, it was last it, year. It cannot be worse. I mean, that is definitely optimistically uh, optimistic. The other thing is, Trayvon Walker likely is going to be better than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Uh, you know, people always like to reference, ah, he didn't have many sacks in college. He wasn't asked to. He, was, mm -hmm. he wasn't, a matter of fact, not even not asked to. He wasn't allowed to. They didn't want him to go and do the things that could make him a prolific pass rusher. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, you have, if you're a player and you want to be on the field, you can't just go out there and free range. Even yeah, if you're, you're free range to, and working. You're going to have to fill the gaps. You're going to have to do what you're assigned. And, exactly. and Trayvon has alluded to many times in practice this year, uh, or in availability, that he was asked to do a certain thing. And sometimes that's, you know, if you're a defensive tackle, all you're going to have to do is fill up a gap. That's all you're asked to do. Mm -hmm. And you're not asked to rush the passer. You're asked to take away lanes. You're asked to uh, fill gaps and... and uh, hold off blockers. I mean, you're not asked to rush the quarterback. If everybody wanted to rush the quarterback. I mean, that's a quarterback's dream. Let, right. He's going to throw a touchdown pass nine out of ten times on those plays. So Trayvon Walker, if you look at his, his statistical breakdown, 
where he played at Georgia. It's mind-boggling where he lined up a lot of time in his career. He, again, he had snaps at cornerback, for mm-hmm. God's sakes, to tell you how much he just wanted to be on the field. He played wherever he could. He's made reference to it time and again in camp that he was thrilled to be able to learn and focus on one position. And that right. looks like it's going to be outside linebacker. Um, but the more I, I hear from Trayvon Walker, the more I see his reps in practice, he is going to be a good player. I think um, so. And I, th- I think people, and we've, met, we've talked about this before, uh, you know, but early on, Solomon Thomas was a guy we... Man without know, a position. A man without a position. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 when Trayvon Walker, during the lead up to the draft, there were many scouts or many uh, draft nicks that were saying, Trayvon Walker reminds him of Solomon Thomas. If we remember Solomon Thomas, good but not great career at Oregon, flew up the draft boards, and he was kind of that versatile guy who could do a little bit of everything. He was overdrafted and just never really fit in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't, you know, had a, a serviceable tail into the career, but um, I don't think that with Trayvon Walker we're going to see the same thing because mm-hmm. I think the Jaguars know where they want to put him. I don't think he's going to have that versatility issue in the NFL because the Jacksonville Jaguars know exactly what they want to do with Trayvon Walker. Right. It looks like he's going to be an outside linebacker. It's he's, great that he has that positional versatility. He's going to but be I think a, with, with Solo, it was where do we where does where, he fit in on this defense? What's right. he going to do? Is he going to put his hand down? Is he going to be outside? And I don't think we're seeing that at all with um, with Trayvon Walker. He wants to learn one position. He wants to be a star in one position. And I think the Jaguars are excited to let him be that star. Probably an outside linebacker. Yeah, it's going to be outside linebacker. He's like the anti-Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you think he didn't know at Georgia, like, if I go out here and do this, I can beat this tackle? You, you think, like, mm-hmm. legis- legitimately, he's lining up here and he's like, all right, well, I got to do my job so I can be on the field. And if I free range, the coaches might pull me. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I have two options. I can go out here yeah. and I can probably get this sack and whoop this tackle. Or... I can just do what I'm supposed to do, and I can make sure that I'm on the mm-hmm. field for the next play. Those were his options, and he chose, I'm going to do what the coaches have asked me, I'm going to be a team player, and I'm going to be on the field. Rather than transferring, rather than just freelancing, rather than going and arguing with the coaches. I mean, for, for as much as people love to complain about how Jalen was here, telling the coaches he wanted to play man coverage, telling the coaches this, telling, you know, being in the attitude that he had mm-hmm. as, you know, he was this alpha player and he's going to tell them what he does well and I'm going to tell them that I'm going to take this receiver. And a lot of that rubbed a lot of people uh, the yeah. wrong way. Traylon Walker's the complete opposite. He went out there and said, I could do this, but I'm going to do what the coaches asked me to do. Right. And I'm going to be a team player. And you know what? It still worked out for him because he still got drafted number one. Number one pick in, <laughs> number one pick in the draft. So, yeah, that was uh, an interesting thing with Trayvon and definitely the anti-Jalen Ramsey. And, um, <laughs> You know, I, I think a lot of that, and you'll hear in, in, from college kids and entering the draft that they could have done more, wanted to do more, but that's their, your team needed you to do that. That's right. what you needed to do. And, you know, time and again, it's not chasing the passer down. I'm sure we could see Josh Allen rush the passer a lot more. He needs to drop back in coverage sometimes. I mean, you do what you're asked to do. And at Georgia, I think Trayvon Walker embodied that. Again, look at his snap counts all over the field, and he mm-hmm. was not rushing the passer on every down at all. So I'll be interested to see what he does, again, in exclusively an outside linebacker position. And I'm sure he'll drop from time to time down on that line, but mm-hmm. I think he is that. Uh, I think he's going to be a star at, the, at that linebacker spot and hopefully unlock that Josh Allen potential too. And, and, you know, every player on the roster that I've talked to, they said they wanted Walker. 
Every single one of them. I talked to Rayshon Jenkins today, and he literally raved about Walker and Lloyd, about how, you know, he's like, I got like a 6'4 wall in front of me now, you know, so, you know, a pass will be flying, and I'm thinking it's coming my way, and then all of a sudden Devin Lloyd jumps up and tips it, and now it's a, it's a tip drill ball instead of just, you know, because he doesn't realize he's still getting used to these large people that he has in front of him mm -hmm. because Lloyd and Walker are both really big guys for their positions, and both of them are really athletic. So it seems like the team is excited for the players that they've brought in, and I, I kind of brought up a couple of these guys and even a little bit of the negatives to go along with this optimism season thing because I'm kind of starting to drink the Kool-Aid on this team a little bit. I think, you know, there's still some spots where they could use some depth, but this is going to be a competitive team, and I think, you know, almost the, the Super Bowl or the most important game for this one, this team, is week one. Like, they're going to have to, t if they lose to Washington, Doug Peterson's going to have to do his job of making sure that the guys don't immediately go into, here we go again, and it becomes a bad season. Mm -hmm. But if they can win that game and go out there and compete and win that game readily, all of a sudden, I think guys trust Doug. The talent kind of lets them play a little bit because this is a very talented roster. They have the pieces to be successful in a lot of spots. And it's just going to take it all coming together. We'll have to see once training camp and the pads go on and, and everything, how it comes together. But I think this, I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid just oh, a little wow. bit. Oh, wow. It's, it's June, bit. so we can drink. We, <laughs> we can drink. But, you know, a lot of people, and myself included, I thought Devin Lloyd was a better pick than Trayvon Walker. I like the pick. He's a ball-hawking linebacker. He's versatile. He can probably play safety, too. Yeah. You know, but interesting enough, People thought Trayvon Walker was well overdrafted. Um, I probably have had those thoughts and even other that as well, and I'm a Georgia guy. Um, but it's, it's been talked about and even reported in the last week that the Detroit Lions had Trayvon Walker fallen to them. He would have been yep. their pick immediately. Uh, and they snatched right. Aiden Hutchinson after Jacksonville drafted Trayvon. But that shows you Trayvon Walker was an in-demand prospect. I mean, right. he was a top-two right. pick, uh, probably a consensus top-two pick. From the top two teams, you know, mm -hmm. I think, you know, the Lions uh, basically being revealed that Trayvon would have been their pick had Jacksonville gone Hutchinson's lens uh, validity to the Jaguars knew what they wanted, knew what they were doing and uh, probably caught a rising star uh, before. I know you like to say get get a star before they're a star. That's right. Um, and I think Trayvon Walker fits that bill. I think he does. And, you know, the, the biggest difference in. They've kind of talked about this is that just Aiden Hutchinson really was a one position player. Uh, you know, he's a he's a 4-3 defensive end. Mm -hmm. That's what he played his entire life. Trayvon Walker can play outside linebacker. You know, one day probably will play outside linebacker and put his hand in the dirt. Mm -hmm. And then one day they'll move him. You know, they can, he's a positional piece, a chess piece. They're starting him slow, and then they can put him wherever they want to put and that, him later. And that's, I think that's what we saw. And I still ha I question the Chad Muma pick with, um, you know, with that third rounder. I think, I, I, I just, I don't understand that if you've got a, linebackers with your first two of your first three picks um, with Trayvon and, and Devin Lloyd. So I, I question that one a little bit, but I like the Devin Lloyd pick. Um, but I think with those two guys, with Walker and Lloyd, you have that positional versatility. Uh, Doug Peterson's talked about it. Trent Baalke's talked about it. Um, and I, I like that flexibility. I think Trayvon Walker, may, I mean, I, I don't know if he's an outside linebacker's entire career. I think he could be a guy that eventually morphs into a defensive end, mm -hmm. a full-time defensive end. Um, so I, I do. Uh, yeah, he I, said he was. He likes to watch Aaron Donald for his pass rush moves. I'm like, 
Yeah, he, he might be on the, on the dirt at some yeah, point. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we'll see him outside linebacker, especially if he continues to grow. I don't think you're going to see a 290-pound uh, outside linebacker. You know, we've talked a lot about the Mooma pick, and, you know, somebody raised a good point to me not too long ago. Would we have rather them take the wrong guy? If they think Chad Mooma is the right guy, would they have taken a lesser player and, and possibly a guy that in a couple of years were like, what are you doing? This, you know, it's another bust, uh, as opposed to taking a guy that they believe in. And I think that's what the thought process was. It wasn't best available, or it was best player available with the, with the Mooma pick. And even, you know, that strengthens that linebacker room. Like, I'm not, if you're, if all you have is Foyer and Devin Lloyd, you're like, okay, well, if either one of them goes down, mm -hmm. who's next? You know, are, are we, we're talking about, what, Chappelle, Russell, or, or, or Shaq Quarterman. Mm -hmm. um, but now, you got a guy in Chad Muma who, if one of those guys does deal with an injury throughout the year, you have a player that's young, athletic, and that, you know, probably could play for a lot of teams in the NFL who can kind of move into that position. Does it, at some point he overtake Foye Aluakin and make that look like a bad free agent signing? I still think in a year or two... They could be trying to figure out how to get out of that contract, but you know, that, I guess that's part of the NFL yeah, it, at this it just, point. I don't know. It just it seems like with the the Foyer signing, Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, it just seems like almost a almost a luxury pick in a sense, especially after adding Foyer and, and giving him a big money contract. So, in two years, are you going to be looking at that and say, why did we sign this guy? Why did we? The guy led the NFL in tackles last year, so he can play. He's yeah. a thumper. Uh, he's that traditional middle linebacker. But where does that? How does Chad Muma factor into this equation? I'm looking at a, with a third-round pick, I'm looking at a potential starter on this team. I mean, I, I well, don't... Well, he'll play special teams. Yeah, he's a special team guy. Yeah, he'll, he'll definitely play special teams across the board, and then who knows? I mean, if, they, if the defense is as multiple as they want it to be, maybe they come up with a few packages for him. But no, he won't be a starter. Mm -hmm. um, unless, unless an injury occurs for Foyer or Lloyd, he likely will not play very many meaningful downs. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it seems like Aluakin is still their guy in mm -hmm. the middle um, and likely going to be wearing that green dot. So he's not coming off the field. And yeah, and I, not I don't, taking Lloyd off either. I, you can't give a guy that much money in free agency, uh, make him one of the centerpieces of the free agency class, right? and then right. draft a third-round guy thinking he's, gotta, he's going to supplant Foyer. I, I just don't, I don't know the rationale in, in the Mooma pick. Still, even uh, a couple months after that was made, I still kind of question why that was a pick. I I know the strategy, every team says best available player, best available player, but if that best available player is at a position you, you don't need that help on, I, I don't know. I am just, I still have kind of question marks in my mind about that, why that Chad Mumu was, that, uh, was their pick. Not debating the player, not doubting the player, but just that more of the, 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 the positional team. question mark as opposed to a player question right, mark. Right, because there's still definitely positions on this team that could use additional depth. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can look along the offensive line and make a solid argument that, you know, you need to add a player there. I mean, we talk about Luke Fortner and Tyler Shatley. I mean, it's not out of the question for both of them to start at center. Mm -hmm. Or not at center, but at center and guard. guard yep. I mean, because Shatley's played guard before and Fortner's played guard before. Ben Barch isn't locked in. But if you play both of those guys at the same time, then you need a third center. Mm -hmm. And do you have a third center on the roster right now? No. Would you have taken one in the third round? Probably not. But, you know, I mean, it's that sort of kind of thinking where there are spots on this roster that could use additional depth. If that does happen, then you have to figure out, all right, well, who's my third center in that situation just in case mm -hmm. injury occurs? 
Um, I mean, you could have made a solid argument. You could use more defensive line depth. Definitely wide receiver depth. Mm-hmm. Um, the only spot where I'm looking at it and I'm like, you definitely – I know a lot of us wanted a tight end, but as I kind of look at the roster, they really didn't need to pick another tight end. Mm-hmm. I mean, they spent money on Chris Manhurts. I know he's not the tight end people want, but he can run block very mm-hmm. well. They drafted Luke Farrell last year. Again, not a big pass-catching tight end, but he can run block. Mm-hmm. Dan Arnold's not bad. And Evan Ingram is, I guess we'll he's see the wild he card. He's I, the wild card. He, is that, he has got that exceptional boomer bust uh, <laughs> potential, but he's automatically the best receiving tight end on the team oh, right yeah, now. Not, I mean, he's and one you've of got the, to you've got to have that. That's a missing element in this team. We saw the musical chairs last year right. at tight end. Um, if you would have told me Chris Manhurts would have been the recipient on Trevor Lawrence's first NFL touchdown pass, you went to Vegas I would have it. lost that bet every <laughs> single time. Uh, so that's a trivia answer. Uh, sometime in the future, but I do think an upgrade at tight end at some point, uh, maybe next year, would be uh, would be a nice addition to that team. I do think tight end could use an upgrade. I think offensive tackle, right tackle, could have used uh, some uh, some finessing in that draft. I mean, is Jawan Taylor going to be here after this year? Um, I don't know. So I do think uh, positions of depth um, outside of linebacker. I would have liked to have seen um, you know a competition at right tackle. Um, it's something at tight end, possibly over that Chad Muma pick. That's just me, though. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it all kind of comes together. Um, I think they, I think ultimately they feel like Walker Little's probably the guy to take over that right tackle mm-hmm. spot. Is, is how it all work out. Um, but moving away from the, our current team and, and you know way back to the first draft pick in, in franchise history, Tony Baselli. He's going into the Hall of Fame. We finally got over that hill, but now. Bruce Smith uh, apparently has a problem with a uh, interesting with, from Bruce today uh, with some of the campaign that uh, the Jaguars put together for Tony Baselli. It was mentioned that Tony whooped Bruce Smith in the 1996 playoff game because that's and it's not Ab- embellishing it. It's a absolutely fact. true. It's a fact. Uh, so in a very long Instagram post from Bruce Smith, uh, here's one of the clips that he said. He said, uh, "Quote." Tony was a formidable opponent during his brief career, but I find it difficult to compare the totality of his body of work with those of the NFL's greatest left tackles. Yeah, that to me, I mean, the shots in that, formidable. Okay, that's uh, you're, you're downplaying uh, a guy who is a five-time pro bowler. I mean, formidable to me seems like, yeah, he was, he was okay. He could hold yeah. his own, but it's... To me, that's kind of a shot in the dark. And then you're talking about the briefness of his career. Almost a veiled shot like Tony didn't play long enough to reach the Hall of Fame. I watched that game. I mean, that I remember going into that Jaguars playoff game, just how dominant that matchup was. I mean, how bad it was for Jackson. Bruce Smith, Defensive Player of the Year, 13 and a half sacks. Just a dominant player. His Buffalo Bills teams were loaded. Um, and that was such that was a big talking point. It's how Tony Baselli gonna handle Bruce Smith in that game. I keep him off Mark Brunell, and Tony just stonewalled him in that game. And that game was kind of the launching point for Tony Baselli's really his career. I mean, he, before he was he was injured as a rookie, um, you know, didn't he played on a bad team. Uh, expansion Jaguars, and then that second year, really with that Buffalo Bills game uh, in the playoff opener, really elevated Tony Baselli's stature. Like, this guy is going to be a, a just a, a stalwart at left tackle for this franchise for years and years to come. So I don't think there's anything wrong with highlighting that game against Brute Smith as Tony Baselli's coming out party because it was just that. I mean, I think it was Jacksonville's coming out party as a franchise as a whole. They won the last five games of the season. Uh, that 96-year 
Morton Anderson missed a kick that's still probably talked about here in town, a 30-yard field goal uh, to send the Jaguars to the playoffs. Unbelievable. Um, so I think that just kind of that last closing stretch was the birth of Tony Baselli as a potential Hall of Fame player and really the birth of Jacksonville as a franchise, um, just how it came to pass. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Jaguars and Baselli's camp doing uh, doing what they did, kind of highlighting that performance against Bruce Smith as his kind of breakout performance. Bruce apparently feels a little bit different. Well, look, I mean, if you're going into the Hall of Fame, you need to have big games against big players. Mm -hmm. Bruce is a Hall of Fame player. Tony whipped his butt. I mean, to me, I think that's something that's worth mentioning. And, you know, the one, the one part of his whole thing that kind of, uh, kind of was odd and kind of rubbed me the wrong way is he said, you know, the Hall of Fame is a fraternity and we don't tear one another down and this sets a bad precedent for the future. And then literally turns around and then rips Baselli and says he shouldn't be in here. A guy who is elected into the Hall of Fame fraternity, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So instead, how can you say this is a fraternity, we shouldn't do this, but this guy shouldn't be here, yeah. but he's getting his bust, he's already measured for it, he's a part of that fraternity now, and you literally, you know, talk out one side of the mouth and then did something else, you know? And Bruce, you know, Bruce like, was, Bruce spoke highly of Tony in the enshrinement, you know, in the, when they unveiled that he was going to be He's the one that announced Tony at the NFL Honors. It's like, where did this come from? Completely out of right field, and here we go. Um, but the one positive from this whole thing is uh, the clip where he says, In Jacksonville, Leon Searcy bore the adverse, a task of protecting Mark Brunel's blind side, while Tony benefited from protecting the extremely talented, mobile, left-handed quarterback. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can just clip that out and use that as the uh, as a tagline or the pitch line for Leon Searcy's Hall of Fame campaign. Right. Thank you, Bruce Smith, for uh, right. for starting the promotion for Leon Searcy into the right. Hall of Fame. And he also mentioned guys <laughs> like Richmond Webb and uh, Will Walford, other guys who were good but not exceptional players. And I thought that was another uh, veiled comment at Tony and when he's comparing him to other guys who are not in the Hall of Fame. So I think we saw Bruce Smith's real uh, real feelings today come yes. out. It's, uh, unfortunate. Um, that'll make the uh, August induction interesting. I'm sure Tony's not going to publicly comment on that. I'm, uh, probably a little bit of a stinger to, to hear that from Bruce Smith, a guy who spoke I live, you introduced you at the honors. And uh, a little bit surprising from Bruce Smith to, to see that today. It's obviously been bothering him for some time. Clearly. For a four-page Instagram rant about that. But uh, no denying the fact that Tony Baselli did did absolutely neutralize Bruce Smith in that 96 game. And uh, what a matchup that was to see those two Titans go head-to-head. -head. Regardless of what Bruce Smith feels, Tony Baselli is going to the Hall of Fame in August. And I'll be in Canton for Channel 4 uh, as Tony Baselli kind of gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. So... We'll see if he ha does have anything to say about Bruce Smith. Hopefully, you know, I still think Fred Taylor is the next guy that has to get in. And hopefully it won't be a very long wait because, I mean, the numbers to me just justify Fred Taylor's got to get mm -hmm. in Canton at some point. The thing with, with Fred, again, I think the, the biggest thing with him is the injury label that he wore right. many years, and he played in Jacksonville. But, I mean, he left the game as a top 15 all-time rusher um, and I think we're going to see, I think Fred is going to be one of those guys where that candidacy, now that Baselli's cleared that hurdle, I think Fred's is going to continuously pick up steam uh, as his case and career is uh, scrutinized a little bit more. And, you know, I think in time, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the Buffalo Bills getting to the Super Bowl. For years and years and years, they were just the losers and running joke and the butt of all uh, failure monikers. 
But over time, I think that narrative has changed on the Buffalo Bills. You made it to four straight Super Bowls. Sure, you didn't win, mm -hmm. but to get there back to back to back to back is remarkable in, uh, in the NFL. So I think that is similar to what we're going to see with Fred Taylor. I think the injury, uh, the, the bust moniker of, of him not being able to stay healthy, um, playing for the, the lowly Jaguars during some bad seasons, I think those will slowly evolve to, to really shine a light on what Fred Taylor is as a player. And I think he's going to be the next Jaguar to go in. Well, like I said, I, hopefully it won't be that long of a wait. Uh, That'll pretty much time for us to go ahead and wrap up this News for Jags podcast. We'll check in with you soon as we kind of make our way toward Canton and toward training camp. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.